to Architecting. I'm your host, Angela Mazzi. You made it. This is the landing pad for raw honesty about connecting your career with your purpose. I'm going to give you the tools you need to be an unapologetic advocate for yourself and others, because if you're here, you believe that the space we surround ourselves in matters and you're committed to project by project building a better world for all of us. If you're with me, let's get architecting. Hey, Bright Lights, it's Angela, and I am super psyched to tell you about a brand new workshop I am putting on on Sunday, June 5th at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. It's called Stressless Success Vacation Life. And let's be honest, if you feel like your life is a dumpster fire of chaos, that you mostly drag yourself out of bed every day and cope from situation to situation to situation, if you experience anger, guilt, and shame over all the ways you feel like you're underperforming while you're still performing acts of pure heroism just to get through the day, this is for you. I'm going to give you my tips to have more energy to integrate work and life with ease so you don't feel the stress of trying to compartmentalize everything. And finally, the reason we want to work is because we want to have that purpose, that meaning in our life, and we want to be successful at it. So how can you attract those greater career opportunities without exhausting yourself? Find out when you sign up. You can go to my website, architectingpodcast.com, and there is right at the top, a way to sign up there, or you can click the link in the show notes. This is such an important, important issue right now. We are all coping with the frustration of lack of control, unpredictableness, situations that are not supporting us in our lives, and we're reaching a breaking point. So it is enough, especially as we head into summer which is supposed to be a season of fun and ease, but for many working parents is just even more stressful. Let's embrace having that vacation life. So again, go to architectingpodcast.com and sign up for your vacation life. You are going to love this free workshop. I'm going to give you so much great information that you can put in place right away and start taking that big exhale of relief right now. Hey, Bright Lights, how are you today? I want you to really think about the answer to that question because reflexively, we'll often say, doing good, living the dream, putting one foot in front of the other. But I don't want to hear the answer you think you're supposed to give or the easy shorthand just so the person will go away and stop asking. I want you to tap into how you're really feeling. Is it full of energy, joyful, excited, anticipatory, or is it tired, overwhelmed, 
apathetic, frustrated, angry, put upon. And I don't want you to run away from emotions that feel negative because they're just as valid as your positive emotions. I want you to tap into how you feel physically as well. Because how we feel physically absolutely is linked to what's going on for us emotionally and mentally and spiritually. And as much as I am an adrenaline junkie, type A personality, champion, juggler of multiple things, I reach my breaking points too. And we've all been dealing with so much lately. And it's relentless from the news with all of the turmoil and every day is Armageddon kind of reporting to unpredictability in our life. What is going on from one day to the next? The ability to make plans and count on them actually unfolding the way you plan them becoming harder and harder to do. And all that worrying just puts more stress and then you add to it additional workload, issues with reliable childcare, labor shortages, meaning the rest of us have to do more work in order to get the job done. And it is super, super, super easy to feel overwhelmed like our listener, Daniel. Daniel wrote in just a simple question. How do I deal with overwhelm? Hello, right? I mean, it doesn't get any more direct than that. And Daniel was feeling really underwater at his job. And they have two kids under age six. Their babysitters are not reliable anymore. Lots going on with that. Daycare isn't always an option. If somebody gets sick, it closes down. His wife works full-time as well. His wife also travels for her job, which adds yet another layer of complexity to his life. He's trying to move up in his firm, get that raise and promotion, so maybe they can afford a nanny, which hopefully would be a more reliable form of childcare. Their oldest is finishing up with kindergarten, and he knows, he knows that once she gets to first grade, that the luxury that daycare gives you of being open every day except national holidays and being open until 6 or 6.30 p.m., that goes away. I mean, come on, we've all dealt with this. Not only do we have a summer break and winter break and spring break, But of the days that could be in school, about one-third of them are days off for things like teacher in-service day (laughs) and all kinds of other fun reasons. And it's like our school system is so disconnected to the lives of working parents. School ends at 2, 2.30, 3 o'clock, some, you know, depends on what grade your kid's in, what school system you're in, but I don't know anyone whose workday ends then. So parents really have to juggle. They really have to fracture their time or spend money on resources like nannies and babysitters, or if they're really lucky, be able to rely on friends, family to 
fill in the gaps there, but that's a huge, huge stressor. Then you get to, we're in a climate where our clients are really putting pressure on fees. They're wanting more for less. They're really trying to create more competition in the market. This is real. We're all feeling the squeeze no matter what firm you're in. And so pressure to perform, pressure to be seen as a leader, pressure to do more with less is kind of coming at Daniel from literally every direction of his life. What do you do? You know, our first reaction is always, well, I must have to work harder in order to get all this stuff done, right? You know, if I have to leave work early to pick up my kid and can't work again until after dinner, well, so be it. I will just split my work day and work that third shift, that evening shift that we're seeing more and more pop up in studies of the workday. Or... I'll just get up really early in the morning or I'll work through lunch, right? We'll find some way to discover or reclaim lost hours in our day to add hours to our day. Now, that can work if you have a short-term deadline. You put the big push in, it's exhausting, but at the end, you rest. You take some time off, you celebrate getting it done. Whew, yes, ah. The rest is gone away, though, for so many of us, because no sooner do you meet a deadline than it's off to the next one. And the next one probably has been a little bit neglected because you were trying to push for the first one. So now not only do you have a big deadline, but you're behind and it becomes the new normal to have about half or less of the time you would normally want to put into working a project for a deadline. And you don't even think anything of it anymore. It doesn't even phase you to be working on something literally right up to when you have to present it. It has become our new normal, but not, not without a toll. And the cognitive impact of this constant demand, right? This constant, constant, get it done, get it done, get it done. Great. Here's the next thing. Get it done, get it done, get it done is exhausting. It can lead to some very, very real symptoms. In the Harvard Business Review, they've studied this. It causes things like mental slowness, forgetfulness, confusion, difficulty concentrating or thinking logically. A racing mind, an impaired ability to problem solve, like recognize any of those in yourself, maybe all of them. And the thing is, we only have so much bandwidth, so much. And when we fill it up and we try to add more, we short circuit. And all of these symptoms are signs of this short circuiting. So what what do we do? How can we move out of this overwhelm? Well, first of all, you need to find the source of it. And a lot of times, the source of it is yourself. It is this feeling, this obligation energy that you should do things. Trisha Huffman is an author who just recently wrote a book about the shoulds versus the wants. And 
She's got a great take on this because when we catch ourselves, and we have to be very consciously aware, saying, I should do whatever, what are we really thinking? Are we feeling that if we don't do that thing, that someone will somehow think poorly of us? Is that our motivation? Are we creating a story around this chain reaction of consequence that may not even be true? Because if you are, if you're tapping in and you're saying, I should work a 10-hour day every day, why? Is it because you think that's going to impress your boss? Is it because you have decided to take on sole responsibility for the success of the project instead of asking for help or support? Is it because you can't say no to an unrealistic client expectation? I want you to really think about when we are ready to put our cape on and dash off to the next act of heroism, What's really behind that should? What self-judgment or fear of how other people will see us is truly motivating us versus what we want to do? Not that we can just completely schlub off our responsibilities and walk away and not care about how that impacts others, but is it something that we could say no to? Say no to in a very clean way, without excuses, put boundaries up around the issue, and be able to exit stage right. Think about how many things in your day are shoulds, not wants, and think about how you could either stop doing them altogether. Who said you had to send in cookies to school today? The teacher might have asked everyone to do that, but hey, what are you going to do? They're going to arrest you if you didn't send in any cookies? You don't have to do this stuff just because it gets put out there. When they do a call for volunteers, you don't have to raise your hand just because they look at you and try to turn the screws of guilt on you. You get to say no. So what things could you say no to? What things could you hold a boundary on? Like, I'm sorry, I am taking Friday off for a mental health day and I will not be at these meetings. Be aware. What ways could you say, I'm sorry, I cannot do an eight o'clock meeting because I'm driving my kid to school. And how can we set up reasonable boundaries and enforce them? That's important. And as you start to do this, you start to recognize the sources of your stress. So when you can find the sources of your stress, instead of it just feeling like anything, everything, all the time, now you can start to feel more in control. So much of that feeling of overwhelm is rooted in not feeling in control. All the pressure you have to perform without any ability to change the circumstances. By identifying the source of stress, you can now start to say, how can I change those circumstances? And it starts with, what could I say no to? Then it moves to, what can I have a boundary on? Then it moves to, what could I delegate to someone else? And then it moves to, 
What could I reassign? So when we delegate something to someone, we still have responsibility. We're supervising them, doing some portion of a task that falls under our purview. When we reassign, doesn't mean we're never going to check in with that person, but we actually transfer responsibility to that other person. Oh, that's where miracles happen. And I know, I know we are all little control freaks and we all worry that no one will do it like we'll do it. And that's probably true. But we need to make failure okay. We need to set up safe spaces for failure. And we need to start giving our coworkers the responsibilities they are ready to take on. When you ask that question, who else can do this? It's like magic. The, the last thing that's really, really important to do is to really think about the story you are telling yourself about this thing to catastrophize things, to feel like if this doesn't happen or if I fail or if I can't find a way through or if I can't do it all, this whole avalanche of problems is going to occur. I'd like you to switch to thinking about what is the essential outcome needed from this situation. The essential one, not the nice to have, not the perfection story, but the essential one. And often what you find is that it requires doing far less work to get that essential outcome. So your client doesn't need that super polished presentation with 10 options and three renderings and all of this. What they needed to work on at that particular meeting was maybe understanding their workflow and how that relates to the space program. So rather than solving the problem for them, when you co-create with them, create a more workshop style of meeting, make it based more on answering critical questions and mapping those critical questions, not only are you getting better information, so the meeting was more valuable, but can you see how prepping for that meeting could take far less work because overwhelming people with a bunch of information, most of which is not essential to the topic you need an answer on today, only takes up your time and energy. And it doesn't impress the client, and it will probably need to be redone once you have those critical conversations. So really look at how you can do only what's necessary and resist, resist, resist that desire to embellish. We're all perfectionists. We're all for afraid of failure. We all tend to overperform because we're caught in this people-pleasing trap. A really critical step to getting out of overwhelm is to stop worrying about what other people think and instead just worry about what will advance the issues so that everyone can move forward in the best possible way. They may resist you if you've gotten them used to 
your overperformance, but you've got to hold the space for that. You've got to hold the space and the boundaries for saying this is what was essential. And you can map this out, you know, as you get better at this. It's not just about dragging yourself across the finish line and regrouping for the next deadline. You start to be able to take that longer view to zoom out and to start to say, okay, if we're going to have a total of six meetings, what are the essential inputs we need at each of them? What's the logical order in which they should go? And what are the best workshop tools we could use to get those inputs? How can we start to assign our team? How can we leverage everyone's capabilities? How can we outsource things? How can we delegate? How can we reassign? When you do that, what you'll find is that you cut your workload. You also cut a lot of the anxiety and stress that comes from that feeling of, I've got so much to do and I don't know how I'm going to do it. Now I can't sleep and all I'm doing is spinning in an endless cycle of what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't need that because the worst thing you could do is go into that anxiety loop where you're now putting your higher level thinking in the back seat and the emotional brain in the driver's seat where you're not sleeping or eating healthily. Basically, you're compromising all your best internal tools to work efficiently when you do that. We gotta start almost parenting that part of ourselves that's overwhelmed and that's panicked. Imagine your best self now being able to sit down next to that part that's panicking being able to see the bigger view, that this is not the be-all, end-all, that everything doesn't have to be this way, that it's not a catastrophe, that you have tools and resources, that you can strategize, that you can figure out what's necessary and what isn't, that you can be creative about solving a problem, that you can think differently about how things are supposed to be. So it may even be an option for Daniel to work at home with his kids in the background, even if they are a bit of a distraction, rather than having to play with them, have dinner, put them to bed, and then at a completely exhausted mental state, try to get another three hours of work in. Be creative here. Think about what options you really have. Don't accept your status quo as the way it has to be. Believe in alternatives and then nurture yourself through finding them. In business, there's a strategy called the five whys where you ask somebody a question knowing that the first answer you get is going to be the one they think you want to hear. And like peeling an onion, you just keep asking. You keep delving deeper. Well, you can use this on yourself. So when you say, what can I do about childcare? The first answer is going to be what you believe is true right now. But don't give yourself that hall pass there and just go, yep, that's it, the end, my life sucks. And get yourself all emotionally revved up in how unfair it is and you're on your parents' soapbox and so on and so forth. Instead, say, well, what, what else could I do? What else could I do? What else could I do? 
And what you'll find is that you can come up with all kinds of solutions. So the first thing might be the obvious, right? I'm going to call a babysitter, but I don't have any babysitters or the babysitter can't work today. Okay, what else can I do? Well, I could use an online babysitting service, but I don't know how reliable that is or if I like that. Okay, what else could you do? I could form a group with some other parents and we could trade off childcare because our kids are all in the same class and we all have the same problems. So do you see how you can just keep going deeper and deeper and deeper and not accepting the limiting belief answer, the one that's at the top of your consciousness as an absolute and the only way that it could be. All right, Daniel, take a deep breath in, take a deep breath out, smile, my friend, practice radical, radical self-care, and then use some of these techniques. We would love to hear back from you and know how it is going. And for all of you out there who can totally relate, do not forget to sign up for Stressless Success Vacation Life. You can do that at architectingpodcast.com or using the link in the show notes. And as always, if you find what you are hearing to be valuable, you know that other people are going to benefit from it too. So rate, review, and refer. Make sure that you help other people find our community so we can all rise together. Take care, everyone. I love you. Bye. Thank you for listening. You made it all the way to the end of the episode, which means you are committed to making yourself a priority so you can be empowered to do the work you were called to do in the world. How amazing is that? If you would like even more content just like this, please remember to subscribe so you never miss an episode. I would so appreciate it if you left an honest review too. Hey, I want you to know I'm here for you beyond the boundaries of this podcast. You can follow me on social media at Architecting Podcast or visit architectingpodcast.com to download some great free resources. Take care, everyone, and stay inspired.